Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. As this episode is being recorded, we uh, are uh, experiencing a market that is unlike anything that we have experienced for about 10 or 12 years. The market is down 25 to 30% from its peak, and advisors are having to consult with clients who may be um, in a difficult situation. They may be nervous, they may be scared, and they may want to do things that are not in their long-term best interest. And so on this episode, we want to give you some guidance on how to have those kinds of conversations. The kind of service we provide in these kinds of situations means far more than anything that you can do when times are good. Coaching people through difficult times is the best way to provide them the most service in uh, their long-term financial plan and, of course, will do more for client loyalty and referrals than uh, the best kind of service you can provide when times are good. And so on this episode, we talk with Peter Atwater. Peter is a researcher, speaker, writer, adjunct professor at William and Mary and the University of Delaware, uh, and the president of Financial Insights. Atwater is an expert in the subject of confidence. He's the author of Moods and Markets, a new way to invest in good times and bad, and has done extensive research on what confidence is, where it comes from, and more important to our conversation, uh, what happens to people when they find themselves in a state of underconfidence. Advisors are currently facing clients who are experiencing severe episodes of what Atwater would call underconfidence. And when dealing with clients in this state, it's really important to remember certain principles of how people in this state are different than they are normally. Their perception of the world is different. Their perception of the future is different. Their cognitive levels decline, and they just make decisions uh, differently than they would when times are good, and we need to know how we can communicate with folks in this state because it is different than communicating with people um, in, a, in an objective, dispassionate way when there aren't these kinds of stresses going on. We talk about risk assessment tools and how we may need to make adjustments to the portfolios that, uh, despite what the risk profile says, we talk about how to facilitate what may be a non-optimal strategy uh, in terms of adjusting a portfolio uh, in the hopes of preventing a catastrophic mistake, which would be something like going to cash. Uh, Peter gives us specific uh, tips on how to talk with clients who are experiencing um, nervousness and even fear. There's also a bonus at the end of this episode. We have a short conversation with Josh Patrick, who's a repeat guest on this podcast. You may remember Josh from prior episodes. Um, Josh is the founder of Ask Josh Patrick and the president of Stage 2 Planning. He is a financial advisor and a coach to financial advisors, and so we wanted to check in with Josh to get some ideas on step-by-step how we go through a conversation with nervous clients um, to help calm them down and help keep them on the straight and narrow as we navigate our way through this difficult market. I hope that there's a lot of value for you in this episode. I got a lot of really interesting guidance and information from this, and with any luck, uh, it will help you have more productive conversations as you guide clients through this difficult time. And so without further ado, let's get to our conversation with Peter Atwater. Peter Atwater, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Happy to be here. So we, we, uh, our audience is financial advisors, and right now the markets are a real roller coaster. And you um, have a, an analogy for that. So what have you learned about confidence by studying people on roller coasters? So what, I, what I've learned is that as the roller coaster goes up to the top, just before it begins the descent, um, if you were to ask people what they're thinking about, the uniform response you're going to receive, even among roller coaster enthusiasts, is it's all about me here now. And I think that's a really important aspect of what we're seeing behaviorally today. Um, we may not be at the top of the roller coaster. It, I think for some it feels like the coaster is now coming off its wheels, coming off the track. But I think that what we're seeing is very much me here now behavior where self-interest, close ethnic and relationship is vital to us. Uh, time horizons have collapsed. The only thing that matters is right now. Yeah. Well, if you could, if, if you could put that in perspective for us. So um, what, what are people like when they get on the roller coaster? What's more of the base state that people are used to dealing with so we can contrast that with, with me here now? So I, I think we can just go, you know, if we rewound re the tape to early February, the investors particularly were in an us everywhere forever mindset. Uh, if you think about the, the incredible performance over the last six months ahead of that by companies like Virgin Galactic and Tesla, there was this sense of unlimited opportunity and a really positive collective view. We were eager to attack climate change. Um, and so there was, there was all of this behavior uh, very recently that suggested a completely different mindset, the, this view that the road ahead of us was perfectly clear, not a cloud in the sky, and people, you know, as a result, taking extraordinary risk uh, in the midst of it. And um, so uh, we, I want to talk a little bit about underconfidence because you've got a lot of really, really helpful stuff about underconfidence. But before we do that, you know, what, what, what actually is confidence and, and where does it come from? So confidence, most often, you know, when I ask people what it is, they can't tell me. It's sort of like pornography. They know it when they see it. And what we... What so often happens is, <laughs> is that people associate confidence with individuals, LeBron James, Beyonce, um, you know, celebrities, star performers. And that's not what confidence is at all. Confidence is cognitive. Cognitive in that it expresses how we feel and it impacts the choices we make. It's all about what's happening between our ears. And confidence at its core is how we see ourselves faring in the future. And that's a mouthful. So let me break it down a little bit. Great. First of all, it's, it's perception driven. There are no facts in terms of confidence. It's all about the stories we're telling ourselves and the stories that are being told to us by the crowd around us. And those stories are important because those impact two critical elements to confidence, our sense of control, and our sense of certainty in the world ahead. To be confident, we need to feel 
as if we will be successful in the future. So that it's those two elements. It's, am I in control? Will I be in control? And can I reasonably predict what's ahead? As you might expect, the coronavirus has just upended both of those perceptions. The sense of vulnerability and powerlessness today is extreme, and nobody quite knows how this is going to play out. So there's just widespread uncertainty. Yep. And I think that's really important to understand that um, that confidence comes from the degree of, of confidence that you have is related to the degree of control you think you have over things and the degree of uh, your ability to predict what's what's coming ahead. And so, you know, obviously in this kind of a situation, people probably are feeling like both of those have sort of, of gone away. And so when we get into, you know, when something like this happens and people uh, lose their sense of control and lose their ability to predict what's coming and they get into what you've referred to as a state of underconfidence, how does that, how does that, what effects does that have on them? And then, you know, we'll get around after that to, you know, how do we, uh, how do we deal with them more effectively? But how, so how does it affect people when they get into that state of underconfidence? So people are very familiar, I think, with the term overconfidence. And overconfidence, we identify in hindsight as environments where we were too certain, too confident, and as a result, underappreciated the risks of things around us. Underconfidence is the reverse. We are naturally prone to overestimate the risks of things around us. We're on edge, we're looking under each stone, not for treasure, but for more worms and slugs. And so underconfidence is an environment where we are naturally on edge. And I think this is something that's really important if you're an advisor, is to appreciate not only are you, and your, but your clients as well, are all in this heightened sense of, of things might be worse than they are. And so it's important for all of us to sort of step back and to say, is my perception of the world around me an accurate perception? Am I being overly fearful? And, and there are ways to sort of test that in terms of, of the way we think and the behaviors. Um, Panic is a natural response to those moments of extreme underconfidence. And so to the extent that you are panicking, you are expressing very naturally that you are really, really underconfident. Um, and so I think it's another aspect is that we are naturally prone to extrapolation, uh, very deep, dark, negative extrapolation when we're underconfident. Um, you know, there is that sense that the worst is still to come. You, you know, things are bad today, but just wait, they're going to suck forever. <laughs> and, <Right. clears throat> and what I think we forget is that that saturating sense when the crowd all feels it's going to get worse and significantly worse is what marks major lows in confidence. That's yep. how we felt on 9-11. Mm -hmm. That's how we felt Neiman Brothers weekend. That sense of it's going to be horrible ahead is, to me, one of the best indicators that we're nearing a bottom 
in terms of confidence. Okay. Well, that's, that's really, that's really interesting. And that's really, that's really good. You know, I, I'd like to get your opinion too about, you know, in, in the advisory business, it's popular to use some kind of a risk profiling tool or some way of, of measuring people's risk and then designing a portfolio around it. And I, you know, one of the things I'm concerned about is, you know, there was, there was sort of a joke made and I, I wish I could remember who it was because it was brilliant and I wish I could attribute it. But somebody in, in, in the financial press, you know, said at that point that, you know, these risk assessment tools, you know, enabled us to uh, very finely gauge people's capability to uh, for risk and then position them to experience it. And that's in this kind of a case, obviously not very helpful. So, you know, how does that, how does having something like that relate to how you might deal with clients now, you know, if they've gone through it and we, and they said, Oh, well, you're this level of risk on a scale of one to a hundred or you're this category. Does that have relevance in conversations now or, or, or do we need to sort of take a different approach? Well, I'm, I'm reminded of the, the quote, you know, everybody has a plan until they're punched in the face. <laughs> it's Mike Tyson. I love that quote. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think that that's sort of where we are today is that people are, sort of reassessing that in one moment their risk tolerance was A, and today that risk tolerance is now Z. And, and that's perfectly natural. That's exactly what we do. When we're confident, we're willing to take far more risk than when we're not confident. And so one of the challenges for money managers and advisors here is to recognize that that, that sense of sentiment is going to impact the, the preferences that their clients have. And, you know, it's the challenge of do you, do you enable a client to sell at the low, which is going to be the natural response. And so one of the things that I encourage advisors to do is to have sort of steps where you're, you're reducing risk, not all at once, but in some sort of orderly sequence. You know, if you're, if you're, when you're setting these up to say to a client, you know, when you're 5% down or 10% down, is there an amount that you'd want to take off the table? Is there an amount that you'd want to take off the table at 20% or 25% down? And it, and that process of risk reduction, I think avoids the, the hysterical knee jerk reaction and the phone calls that will inevitably come at the very low where people capitulate and say, just get me out now. Sure. Now, is, now, realistically, is that a conversation that advisors can have with clients now? Or, or is, is, is that the kind of conversation you have to set up, you know, being prepared for something like now? I think that those are conversations that you need to have now okay. in terms of, okay, things have been bad. You've, you've given back a lot of gains. How much more do you want or are you prepared to take in terms of, of additional risk? And importantly, I think it's, this is a time to be having a conversation with clients, not just about how they're feeling in terms of the market, but in terms of the their feelings about their job, about their ability to continue to meet the financial obligations they have. I, I think this is a time when a holistic sort of enterprise risk assessment is important. 
you know, if someone is feeling like their job or their business that they run is now subject to a whole lot more risk, then it's absolutely prudent to take risk out of their investment portfolio. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, you know, manage the client holistically. Right, right. Well, and, and I think that's that, I think that's a really important concept that, that you know, when people when people become underconfident and have responses to their portfolio, it's, it's not because of the number that's on the statement. It's not because of, of what the portfolio is, is doing, but it's because of their fear about what the, what might happen to what the portfolio represents, which, you know, could be their retirement security or could be the goal that they really wanted to have or those kinds of things. Um, so you what, what it sounds like is, you know, it, it, you're saying that we should, take a look at those things as as well as the portfolio or those things instead of the portfolio and and maybe try to refocus their thinking on you know what what's behind that that you know they're saying they're afraid of their portfolio but you know what, how, how valuable is it to get it at what we think they're really scared of yeah and you know if, if I'm running a small business today the the sense of dread the uncertainty that I'm feeling um, there's a lot to be said for taking risk off the table in the financial markets because for that client who's running a business, their thinking will become clearer. You okay. When we are in those moments of panic, it's very difficult to make you know, strategic thoughts about abstract decisions. And so we, we really do need to find ways to, to get relief and to, to look at our lives in their entirety. Yeah, and so you've 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 said that in in your talks about you know that that when you become underconfident, you know that your your ability, your cognitive level actually declines, and that you're able to process a lot less. And uh, you know I, I want to get to that point you just made in a second. But as you you talk about you know when when people get underconfident and their cog- cognitive level goes down and and they lose some of that ability to uh, do that abstract thinking. You talk about getting into me here now thinking. You mentioned that earlier in this uh, in this episode. Um, can you tell talk a little bit more about what me here now thinking is and how it differs from how people might operate normally? Yes. So when we're in me here now mode, anything that is not relevant to my situation today. I am either going to be fearful of it or I'm going to ignore it. I've got to take it off the table. Um, when, when confidence falls, we, we, for example, become naturally xenophobic. Things that are psychologically distant from us take on very negative, disconcerting attributes. And so we have a choice in those moments to ignore them, find a way for them to just get out of our sights. And that, that's also the case with the future. We, we stop thinking about the future because it's, it's so uncertain. And so all we do is to focus on our situation right, right here, right now. And so you see that in terms of the kinds of decisions that we make. We're, we're only able to make the simplest choices. Um, I'm doing a lot of advising right now to um, industrial and, and uh, political leaders and reminding them that 
every solution that you put on the table today must in some way tie to the me here now simple needs of your audience. Um, this is not the time for strategic conversations. This is a time for tactical solutions. Yeah. So this is, so it sounds like you would advise uh, advisors against pulling out lots of charts and graphs and, and, you know, historical performances and those kinds of things, because it sounds like that would just, you know, escape most, most clients who are in a difficult situation. Yeah. I, I think the metaphor that I would use right now is, you know, America is um, New Orleans awaiting Katrina. And so, uh, yeah, and so sure. think about how would you have knocked on the door, you know, to somebody in, in New Orleans, just as the hurricane's about to strike, you know, what, what's going to be important to that client? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that you've said in, in your talks is that people who are underconfident crave affirmation. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and what it means and how we could do it? Sure. So again, in those environments where I'm feeling powerless, I seriously challenge my own judgment. Um, we are really mean to ourselves when anxiety is high. Um, if you were to look, you know, anxiety peaks every night sometime between one and two in the morning. And in those moments, you can also see that, that searches for uh, terms like, am I stupid? Am I fat? Um, those spike as well. So, so we take a very critical eye to our own abilities when we lack confidence. So, yeah, I, yeah I, I can, I mean, I, I, can, I can just picture the scenario where, you know, you end up in a situation that you, you know, that turned out badly, something unexpected happened. And, you know, you, you're saying to yourself, how could I have been so stupid? Why did I ever do this? You know, and, and, and that can easily be extended to why did I ever listen to this person or that person when they gave me advice? And, um, yeah. you know, I, so, um, yeah. And so how do we help people grapple with that? You know, if they're lacking confidence, not only in, in, in the future and the markets, but, you know, maybe even uh, in the, the advice they were given by this same person who's trying to coach them through the current situation. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, and, and it gets even more challenging for advisors because when things go wrong, we become um, really angry at the agents, those third parties who we feel put us in this position. Um, Daniel Kahneman, the, the psychologist, economist, researcher, um, talks a lot about the, the, um, the criticism that arises when things turn down and we, we have been what we feel wrongly advised. And so agents of all nature are, are highly vulnerable here. Um, and it sounds like, uh, so, um, first, before we talk about the, the, what, what advisors can actually do to, to help deal with that and also deal with a client's panic, it sounds like, um, you know, one thing that we also want to, you know, be very sensitive to is not getting defensive, especially if a client reacts out of that emotional position and, and, and goes to blame us for things that, 
you know, we, we how, what's a productive way of, of dealing with that? So, you know, I think that particularly with this crisis, um, this is one where there's going to be a lot of um, both what I would say good and bad ability on the parts of people to suggest that they didn't see this coming, um, that this is something that was out of the blue. And, I, and I'll, I'll be honest, I have very mixed feelings about that because there are, there are individuals that were um, unprepared coming into this um, by circumstance. Um, you know, the, 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 the service workers, many small businesses were unprepared for something on this magnitude. There were others who, you know, you can debate whether they were unprepared voluntarily. Um, you know, that's a great way they, to put it. Yep. Sure. You know, were they were they prudent in the management of their business? Right. Um, but I think from for advisors in this circumstance, you know, no one was looking at this as a risk even six or eight weeks ago. And so the the, the challenge is that you know that nobody saw this coming from an investment perspective. And so I think that, you know, there needs to be at least some agreement between you and a client of, you know, if we, if we had both seen this coming, we both would have acted differently. Um, and so I think there, there needs to be some, some conversation with a client to acknowledge that, that you were as unprepared for this as they were. Well, I let, let me. I, I'm concerned about that because what it what it sort of implies is that you know maybe I should have been able to time the market better, or maybe you know I should have been more. And and I'm I'm you know most most advisors you know I, I think would would rather approach it from the direction of no, of course we couldn't see this coming, and we built your portfolio so that it would be okay for all of these things that we didn't see coming because we would expect that I, I would, um, you know, so I think that part of that conversation then is around what was done ahead of time in an effort to mitigate the impact of this through portfolio construction. Right. And so it's, you know, we didn't see this coming, but we established these risk tolerances yeah. in anticipation of the unknown. And, you know, here, here's the outcome. Yeah. And then I think it's a question of, do you want to reevaluate your risk tolerances in light of what else is now happening in your world? How far should we let people go with that? So, you know, if, so we have, we have these two conversations. We have the one conversation where this is your risk profile and therefore we want to set up your portfolio this way, you know, so that we can protect, we can mitigate against, you know, unforeseen outcomes. And, and, and we're having that conversation when, when people are operating at a high cognitive level because we're relatively dispassionate, nothing bad is going on. And now we've got to revisit that conversation while people are in a somewhere between a mildly and severely underconfident kind of situation. How does that conversation change? It, it changes because I think people 
are feeling far more personally vulnerable, that the vulnerability here is not just financial. It's, could be, it's professional. Mm-hmm. And, and most importantly, <clears throat> right now, it's physical. I think, you know, particularly with, with individuals who are advising elderly clients, um, this, is a, this is a very real threat. And so I think to be um, dismissive of that in these conversations is to not necessarily do your client a, a you know, great service. Um, I think that these, these are moments where you, you're going to have to work with a client in distress and to recognize that your responsibility is not just financial in helping them to get through this. And to the extent that that means taking risk off the table for some period of time, um, you know, that, that to me is, a, is prudent client management. Yeah, yeah. So um, we're coming up on time. I know you've got a zillion people that want to talk with you today. I really appreciate your joining us. So just to sort of summarize, um, what, what would you suggest for financial advisors? What's, what's the sort of uh, bullet point list of, of, of things that you would do or that you would recommend that advisors do as they reach out and talk with clients who may be in an underconfident situation? So one of the things that I did this past week was to write about how the approaching pandemic is naturally causing panic to occur. And to me, that's an important element of the conversation is to, to be very realistic is, you know, you, anybody who's panicking now is, is behaving quite naturally in light of the, the perceived threat. That being said, as the physical distance the psycho, and the psychological distance between us and the pandemic comes to a close, you know, as I said before, you know, we're like New Orleans just ahead of the, the hurricane. What's so interesting is that once that distance is closed, the panic will abate. I, and I you know, said to several groups and organizations this week, you know, the good news to me in what we're experiencing right now is that the panic phase of this crisis is coming to a close. Because you know, we've gone from the epidemic being in China and contained there to it's, it's in America, to it's in my community, to it's, it's, it's right here next to me. I, I can feel it. And yeah. that, that will mark when we all have that sort of sense that it's, it's imminent and things are going to get worse. That will mark the bottom of the panic phase. And so I think it's important that folks recognize that we are we are moments away from that. I don't know if it's today or next week, but, but I think we're, we're very close to that. And, and it, it's something that is easily visualized and understood by people. Okay. And, um, and just again, what, what, so um, I think that's really helpful for advisors who are trying to think of what to do with portfolios. Are there things you can recommend that, you know, I th- what really struck me is, you know, I, I, and I think this is worth contemplating that, you know, 
advisors will be dealing with some client, not all clients, as some clients will take it in stride, but some clients may be panicking and, and to recognize that panic is a reasonable response. Um, so are there, are there uh, particular things uh, you would recommend to, to talk with that client who is um, in that panic mode to figure out how much you want to take off the table and, and, and what we can do so that we don't give into their fears and, and sell at the low? So I think that what I would suggest is you know, to, to set up a plan that is systematic. Okay. To say, you know, we'll, we will take more risk off at this level. We would take more risk off at this level so that there's, there's a clear understanding between the client and the advisor in terms of how have risk tolerances changed today versus when they were first established. Great. Excellent. Well, like I said, Peter, you've got a zillion people who want to talk with you today, and I really appreciate your joining us on the podcast to share your, um, your expertise. Is there anything else that you want to mention before, uh, before I let you get off to all of your other things today? Uh, I would just remind people that um, two aspects of this current situation. Uh, we've been here before, and so not to lose sight of the fact that you know, these, these things happen and we've been here before. And related to that is, this is for now. Panic does not last. It, it, physically, it, it almost can't. It's very exhausting. It's very energy depleting. And so I think it's, it's important as mantras, you know, for ourselves as advisors is to, you know, this is for now. We've been here before. Um, we will adapt, we will figure it out, and we will find a way to, to, you know, to get through this. Excellent. So, uh, Peter, where can people find um, your writings and your insights? And otherwise, where can people follow you? So I have a website, peteratwater.com. They can find things that I've written and where I've been cited there. I also have a regular blog on LinkedIn under Peter Atwater as well. Excellent. Peter, thank you so much for taking some time in this very busy time for you and talking with us. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. So Josh Patrick, thank you for joining us on Becoming Referrable to uh, help our listeners make some of these calls in these challenging times. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, I really value your, um, your insights on these. You've been an advisor for a long time and you coach a lot of advisors. And so uh, I know that you've got some experience at how to have some difficult conversations with clients when people are particularly stressed. Um, can you take us through some of the principles that you would follow when you're reaching out to clients who may be in, uh, um, in a difficult state now? Yeah, absolutely. The first thing you want to do is, at least in my opinion, is when you call somebody, ask them how they're doing, you shut up until they stop talking. <laughs> yep. Um, and I, I would actually go further than that and say, I would keep asking questions until they have nothing more to say about how they're doing. Okay. So like what kind of question well, you know, would you, know, you ask? How are you doing? And then from there, they're going to say, I'm terrible. So, well, what specifically is making you terrible? Or I'm really concerned or I'm scared or... You know, um, and so I might ask, I say, well, okay, uh, what are we doing to become a little bit less scared? Okay. Or, you know, I just want to validate where they are and what they're feeling. It's really, really important to do that. 
And when they get around to talking about how they're really scared about their investments, they want to go 100% to cash. Um, instead of getting into an argument about why that's a bad idea, and by the way, it is a bad idea. Well, sure. Uh, is that we really need to get let them get all their feelings out. Okay. Because once they get all their feelings out, then all the emotion is going to be there. And now you have a, the, the opportunity to potentially, and this is a potential, have a rational conversation. Now, one of the things that we do with our clients and have done up, you know, way before this happened, was we use a, a, a strategy with our investments called the bucket system. And the bucket system is, you know, it, you, know you segregate cash, fixed incomes, and stocks. Most people do that within one account. We do that within three accounts. We have a cash account, we have a fixed income account, and we have an equity account. So we can point at the cash account and the fixed income account and say, okay, we have 10 years worth of spending sitting in these accounts right now. Okay. And then, but, but, but if I can jump in, Josh, I just sure. um, for, for advisors who may not have done that, Right. You know, because right now is not a good time to tell advisors no. how no. to do that. But you had mentioned that there was one client, for example, who was not taking your advice and who was freaking out because they were, you know, 80% in equities. And right. so walk me through how you have that conversation with that client. Well, she has two advisors. Okay. So she said her other advisor had gone 100% cash for it. And I asked her, I said, Arlene, how many years spending is that 100% cash for you? As it turns out, it's about eight years worth of spending if she gets no return whatsoever. And I said, you know, we've never had a 10-year period for the stock market hasn't re recovered. And the history of pandemics is we recover relatively quickly. Now, this was after she had spent 15 or 20 minutes telling me about how scared and the fact she wasn't going to retire and went on and on and on. And it was a really valid concern for her, but she had really sort of wound herself down so we could have this conversation about, does it make sense for us to move to cash? Okay. And, and, so, I, and I to her, so look, at the end of the day, it's your, it's your decision. Yeah. And she decided that because she was now a little bit more neutral, yep. less charged, that being 100% cash with her half her portfolio was enough. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that conversation, how you got her there. So, because so, some clients will have resisted advice and will have a, the wrong allocation, but a lot of other clients may have a perfectly good allocation and just may be freaking out. So sure. let's talk a little bit about how did you get her from being freaked out and not being able to talk about it um, at, at a high level to the point where she could you know, be a little more neutral and, and, and consider things a little more objectively. I just kept asking her questions. Okay. I mean, it really, it almost doesn't matter what the question is. The, the point here is to, to encourage the person you're with, and this is true under any emotionally charged issue, is continue to let them speak and speak and speak until they talk themselves out. Okay. Now, you may have noticed this with your, with your children. As your child is really upset, and they're crying like crazy. And for you to try to be rational with your child at that time just doesn't work. So you have well, to I, think that's a, I think that's a really important point. I'm going to hold you up there for just a second because I think that's a really important point is that to the extent that any advisors are calling out to their clients and, and hope that their rationality will coach the client through it, I think they're going to end up getting bad outcomes. 
a really bad outcome. You're going to yeah. get into a fight. The client's going to walk away really frustrated. You're going to walk away saying, boy, that client's an idiot. And they're not an idiot. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're just reacting the way a three-year-old might react. Right. And we all have a three-year-old living within us. Sure. And we have to, you know, if somebody is exhibiting three-year-old behavior, you have to let them become an adult again. Yeah. And the way you let them do that is to vent and vent and vent and, and encourage the venting, not try to stop it. Okay. Now, it's really uncomfortable. You know, I used to, you know, as you know, I used to own a food service and vending company. And I would sometimes have difficult conversations with my employees and they'd start crying. Now, most people would try to make that crying better. What I learned in that period was you just have to let them cry it out. Okay. So sit there and let them cry it out. Yep. And after they were done, I would, we would start having a real conversation. Well, it's mm -hmm. no different with your client, my clients today. I have to let them cry it out. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Well, um, Josh, I, I, I want to respect your time and, and, uh, um, and I want to be able to, to move on, but, but I think this is really valuable for our advisors. Are, are there any other uh, resources you would, you would point advisors to or uh, where can they learn more about what you can do for them? Well, we have a couple of websites. They could go and, and poke around if they want to. We have tons of videos and a podcast also, which you've been on a couple of times. Yep. That's uh, www.sustainablebusiness.co. And I've been writing a lot of philosophical blog posts on our uh, wealth management site, which is www.stage2planning.com. That's the number two. And both places have tons of things you can download and information. It's mostly about how you create a sustainable business. But, you know, this is all part of the, the, the deal. It's how do you effectively work with people? You know, it's sort of like, you know, when we teach people to delegate, they always have this problem. Sure. So it's easy to find folks, you know, it's easy to find information there. Uh, if you want to give me a call, there's a contact me, just sign up for a phone call and I'll be glad to talk with you. Great. And Josh, thanks for, yeah, thanks for coming to visit with us again. My pleasure. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.